Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I am your host, Jen Amos. And today I have with me Will Nitza, who is the CEO and founder of IQ Bar. His website is eatiqbar.com. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd open up. It's a new year. How's the 2021 treating you so far? It's good. It's good. I mean, it's um, it's not all good. It's just, I guess, have settled into the new normal that is that is the COVID era. Um, <laughs> and so it's still very similar to 2020, but I think it's good in the sense that we've adapted fully um, as a business, you know, personally, et cetera. So yeah, all good things. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's funny because some, you know, I, I know there's still some people that are waiting to get back to the new normal or get, getting back to normal. It's like, well, we're, we're, we've kind of been a year into this. <laughs> I think this is the normal, you know. But I'm glad to hear that you've been able to ju- adjust well. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I don't know what normal even means anymore because, like, even <laughs> once like people are vaccinated on on all that, all that, it's like it's not normal because everyone's been doing this weird thing for a year. So yeah, I normal is a odd opaque, uh, concepts to me now. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a myth. I don't think normal <laughs> is a, it, it's a weird. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear what you're saying there. Um, awesome. Well, well, you mentioned, uh, you hinted that your uh, company had been able to adapt, you know, even through these very interesting historical times. So let's talk about your company. I find it uh, quite fascinating. So IQ bar, is the first brain and body protein bar. Um, it's keto, paleo-friendly, and vegan. Um, I've never really heard of a, a brain and protein bar. So tell me um, a little history about how you were able to create this protein bar. Sure. And and so, and we started really as a bar company and we, we've now emerged as a brain and body nutrition company, or at least mm-hmm. that's the long-term vision. So we started in bars and then you know, we'll move into hydration, we'll move into coffee, supplements, et cetera. But our whole goal, the overarching goal is brain and body nutrition. So how do you put things in your body that help you, your brain and body perform better? Um, but <clears throat> really the genesis of it was I really, I, I personally felt bad physically because of my diet. I um, had a standard American diet basically my whole life. And then in my mid twenties, post-college, I was um, working long hours, didn't feel good. Um, got really interested in diet. I read a couple books that really changed the way I thought about diet. So, uh, grain brain was uh, one, I don't know if you've ever read that by, by David Perlmutter. <clears throat> and this was also at the time when paleo was like taking off and everyone was, um, uh, analyzing nutrition labels more closely and whole foods were the new cool thing. And, um, yeah. so, that was all happening like 2016, 2017. And that coincided with me feeling physically terrible and taking an interest in nutrition. And so basically the aggregate of that was a thought I had, which is why is no one creating brain food? In other words, why is no, like every ready to eat food product is geared towards the body, whether it be protein for working out or 
weight loss or whatever. It's all body or energy. Um, it's all body focused. Yeah. And why is nothing brain focused in, in a ready to eat context? And mm-hmm. um, so that that was the concept. Had no background in food or or startups in general. Yeah. And um, that was what kicked it off. Yeah, I think that's pretty fascinating. And I think it's, uh, you know, we try to, I think what we do as humans, or at least as entrepreneurs, uh, even accidental entrepreneurs, is we um, kind of find this problem in our life. And for you, um, you had a lot of chronic cognitive issues. And so you were trying to maybe find that marriage, I would say, with nutrition and also like brain fuel in a sense. And so you were able to at least initially um, create this, um, you know, IQ bar that is a brain and body protein bar. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, when people ask me like what, if when people tell me they want to start something, the first thing I always say is like, try to solve a problem you have, or at least Mm. you can heavily relate to, um, because you're never going to have the stamina to, to, to do it and see it through unless it's something you care about or affects you in some way. Um, so yeah, that was certainly the case with me. Yeah. I think it's important to be um, almost emotionally, you know, emotionally invested in this solution. And the only way to do that is to personally have had the problem yourself. Yeah. And, and it also comes through in like everything, like marketing, when you have conversations with customers, like you never want to be the person who's like, yeah, I saw this opportunity in the market and I took it, you know, it's way mm-hmm. more emotionally appealing to say, you know, be a storyteller. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. if you're the center point of the story. Yeah. And I, I heard this in a couple conversations ago that, um, you know, if you have an offer, the effect, the most effective way to give an offer is to have a story with it. And a lot of times it should be your personal story because then people can humanize what that, you know, solution is, what that offer is. And so, you know, if people like, you know, maybe on the surface, people are looking at your bar, let's say as another protein bar, but if they know the story behind it, they know why you started it. They know that you were not, you didn't intend to be in startup and and to be an entrepreneur. They'd be like, oh, that's really interesting. He did this because he had a problem and he wanted to fix it. And he found that other people had a similar problem. And so therefore he brought it to market. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Cer- certainly the case with us. Um, and, and everything evolves too over time though. Like whenever you start, you never end up doing two years in, you're never doing what you started doing. Mm-hmm. So like I was solving my own problem, but then I started, um, you know, hearing from, you know, you sell to 5,000 customers and 1,000 of them tell you what they, they think. And you know, you start hearing what other people want and need and expect from the thing you're creating. And so you have to pull their stories in and needs in. And and so your offering almost always is going to evolve in some way. So like for us, like we started as a quote unquote brain food company, and then we evolved into brain and body because Mm. we realized there are all these people who are like, okay, I'm eating this bar. Why? Like you're not, you're delivering brain nutrients, but you're not delivering the protein that I would want. And so, yeah, it's okay. But like, I would rather get something that is a more holistic solution uh, or comprehensive solution. And so we were like, okay, why not? You can do both. um, And we can open ourselves up to more people and satisfy the same people to a higher degree. Um, 
so everything evolves over time too. It's, it's yeah. never just what, with what you started with, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, opening it up to more people about a year and a half ago, you launched in Kroger and now you are sold in over 5,000 locations, including some, you know, big stores such as CVS, Rite Aid, Kroger's, Sprouts, Wegmans, as well as um, now getting into Walmart. Um, Tell us what that process was like for you to even just get started in Kroger and then start to make your way through the other locations. I mean, I think that's just pretty astounding considering how this was only done a year and a half ago or started a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much a momentum game you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, retailers kind of look at each other and your first account is always the diff- most difficult account. It's also, we're actually majorly a, a e-commerce business. So 70% mm-hmm. of our business is e-commerce. And um, so that's actually our focus. And, you know, you, you talk about like Kroger and Walmart yeah. and yada, yada. Amazon is a, a far bigger customer or, or the people who buy via Amazon are is a far bigger revenue base for us than, than any of those retailers. So that's always we're always first and foremost digital and e-commerce. But um, beyond that, you certainly want to get into retailers that um, are a good fit and you think you could do well in. And so, you know, step one of that process is just make a list, like what, what are our targets and why are they our targets and why do we, why are we confident we can succeed there mm-hmm. and then create a plan to get in there. So, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. Like you, all of these retailers have review schedules and um, you know, you submit a, an application to be reviewed for, for the set could be the, you know, the cosmetic set or the bar set or what, whatever set every, every set has its own review. Mm-hmm. Um, so you submit, for the review and and back in the day, back in the day, meaning like a year and a half ago, you you, you could often meet in person with the mm. uh, category manager or buyer. Now everything's via Zoom or or what have you. Um, but so then you you know have a conversation um, with the decision maker and they say yes or no. It's kind of as simple as that. But um, there are certainly many things you can do to increase your odds of a positive. Um, uh, outcome of, of that process. But a lot of those are just inherent to your actual product or offering in and of itself. So if you have created something meaningfully different, it sort of is what it is. It speaks, it speaks for itself to a degree. If, and if you're a halfway decent salesperson, you know, you can get new distribution. Um, so that that's kind of, and then once you get one, and once you're in CBS and Kroger, well then getting, Sprouts is a lot easier and then getting Walmart's a lot easier. And yeah. It, then you can start building momentum. You can sort of like name drop. You're like, oh, we're in Kroger. We're in CVS. Like, oh, well, we should probably have it too. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. I love that. Do you feel like um, you were able to kind of ride the wave of e-commerce when the pandemic hit? Oh, no question. Um, I mean, again, like it, it didn't, generate any new trend it just accelerated an existing trend so like e-commerce was already our biggest channel we were already doing quite well it just drastically accelerated that because now everyone's at home ordering online but it's not as like rosy as that though because then there's 15 other challenges that it also creates so um you know you have supply chain challenges like we import uh, certain pieces of packaging. Mm. Um, now there's like 30 ships 
in the port of LA, you can't import your, your packaging. And what are you going to do? You know, there's, so there's, mm. that's like one small example. I could list 10 others. So it's not all, all, um, puppies and candy canes, so to speak. <laughs> well, I, w- I want to hear that a little bit. Will. what, what are kind of the, the, you know, if we like unveil the curtain and see really the, the struggle, um, of e-commerce, like the whole, like there's a bunch of ships at the dock. Therefore, you know, your product is not readily, readily available. What are other kind of realities of doing e-commerce that maybe the average uh, person doesn't know? Oh, there's so many. I mean, n- number <laughs> one, like pick your category really, uh, judiciously, mm. um, because categories are so different. Like if you're selling jewelry or like, and, and, and why I say that is it's with an eye towards really like gross margin. So if you're selling jewelry or like at like an 80% margin or whatever, if you're selling protein bars, there just is a price you kind of have to sell at. Like people aren't going to pay more, you know, people aren't going to pay six bucks for a protein bar. Right. So you have, you have a little bit of a range, but like basically you have to hit price point in that range. And then, you know, ingredients to a degree just cost what they cost. And so you have to hit a certain cost of goods level and sell at a certain price point that creates a gross margin that is then going to be a sort of a perpetual flywheel that helps you generate success. But that like all is theoretical, like actually making that work yeah. is incredibly difficult. So because you, you're trying to grow and grow and grow and grow and you know, I think there's the rare case where like, it's just such an incredibly good product market fit. And the repeat customer rate is so high yeah, that you could have like a pretty good margin and, and just keep growing on, on the quality of your, your stuff. Um, but more than likely, you're going to have to spend a lot on advertising and you're going to have sort of operational and supply chain snafus and stuff's going to go wrong and your cost of goods will be higher than you thought it was. And so I, I would say like other things people need to obsess over is all of those things. Like once you pick your category, how do you generate the, really the magic figure is, is your gross margin because mm-hmm. you're going to need to build in all this adver- paid advertising spend. You're going to need to price in things going wrong, um, et cetera. So if you're operating on a 20% gross margin, like I can just tell you right now, you you're not going to succeed unless you mm-hmm. just raise money and perpetually. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, early, early on in your, uh, business, well, I know that you had, you started a Kickstarter. So tell us a little bit about that. Was that kind of the catalyst for you to really, uh, go with, um, IQ bar at full throttle? Yeah. So th- that I always say is like, I was trying to solve the chicken or egg problem, which is mm. to say that when you start a company, you, don't have any money and you also don't have any sales. And so you need to get, get, you either need to raise money to generate sales or you need to somehow generate sales to raise money, but Mm -hmm. you can't generate sales to raise money if you have no money in the first place. So there's your like chicken or egg problem. And of course you're trying to generate the best valuation of your company as possible because you want to give up the least amount of your company as possible Mm -hmm. when you raise that first cash. So Kickstarter kind of solves that that problem for you um, because I didn't want to just go raise money and say, well, I, we're worth a small amount because I don't have any like sales or anything to show you. I wanted to instead 
do a crowdfunding campaign, generate all these sales without having to deliver product right away, then go to investors and say, hey, we generated all these sales. Here's what we're worth. I'd like your money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, more or less worked pretty much as planned. So I would definitely recommend it for, for people who are creating products that are conducive to crowdfunding. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could go into like the hellacious period that was the two months of the crowdfunding that we did. I mean, we did some crazy, crazy stuff to make that work. Cause uh-huh. you know, we didn't have any customers. We had no email list. We had no, we had nothing. And so how do you generate out of thin air? Like, well, ultimately between Kickstarter and Indiegogo, we, we sold $90,000 worth of product. Wow. So how do you generate that with nothing? No product in market, no, no anything. Yeah. And the, the answer is you do a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure, which I'm sure is a, a fun conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. We could spend an entire podcast on, on how we, how, how we made that happen. Yeah. But the important thing, Will, is that here you are, you know, in 5,000 different locations and having 70% of your, uh, you know, business come from e-commerce. It sounds like you've really, really had done a lot um, in the last year and a half to be at the level of success you are today. Yeah, I, I, we certainly have done a lot of things. Um, how many of them were perfectly done is another question, but, um, (laughs) What's perfect anyway? What's normal? What's perfect anyway? <laughs> right? It, uh, yeah. I mean, neither, neither exists, especially in the, I'm just thankful that like the weird thing about COVID is there are some people who are just plain SOL. Like they're not there. They can't do any, there is no pivotable. There's like three buckets of companies. There's companies that were like devastated and then there's nothing they can do like a restaurant. Yeah. There's companies that unequivocally benefited from it, like Zoom, yeah. right? Or video conferencing. And then there's like everyone else, which is, I would put us in that bucket, which is like, you can still sell stuff to people. You just have to pivot the way that you do it. So mm-hmm. I just feel really grateful we're not in that first bucket of like, there is not, how does a restaurant pivot? There is no pivot. So we were, I'm just thankful we had the opportunity to, um, adapt. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I think in the pandemic, it really, um, some people really had to get lucky, you know, to, to be able to ride that wave, just kind of like with zoom, you know, it's not like zoom was planning on taking over the world, but (laughs) when everyone was put at home, it was really the number one way to communicate at least for, you know, at least for, for businesses and professionals, you know? So, um, it's really, really astounding and yeah, it is important to, you know, count your blessings in this case that, uh, you were able to pivot and adapt and, um, still, you know, rise up to where you are at today. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, I pleasantly enjoyed our conversation today. Um, as we wrap up here, any other closing thoughts you want to share with our listeners who are uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs? No, not not really. Other than keep keep going. I mean, <laughs> uh, again, this sounds trite and cliched and all that, but whenever people are asked, you know, what's like the number one thing to keep in mind in an entrepreneurial context it's perseverance like Mm -hmm. that just showing up every day is more than 99 percent of people can do yeah um 
And if you just show up every day, you will win in the end. Um, I think the only path to failure is, is not showing up. Um, so I guess that's all I would leave them with. I dig it. It's like this. uh, I don't know who said this, so people can Google this later. Um, but they said, I've heard before that 80% of success is just showing up, you know, and I think that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Like you said, is, um, to continue to persevere and to show up because there are so many other people who maybe are not. (laughs) And so, Awesome. Well, Will, uh, again, thank you so much for being here on The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah. And again, to our listeners, this is Will Nitza. He is a CEO and founder of IQ Bar. You can learn more about him and his products at eatiqbar.com. Thank you all so much for joining us and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence each month. We scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm -hmm.